Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week. We're talking tight ends today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 316. At the top of this week's show, we've got Scouting Report, where I chat with Ben Fennel about all-pro tight end Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs and really the tight end position as a whole. What does he mean to that Chiefs offense? How do they allow him to be so effective? And what traits set him apart from others at the position? What traits matter most at that spot? We'll break it all down in this week's episode. But before we get there, I want to make sure that we break, hit on a couple of things. First up, I'm going to ask you guys once again, head on over to our Apple Podcast page. Throw us your support with a rating and a comment. If you've got a question, that queue is empty. It is wide open for you right now. You can jump in, leave a question, leave a comment, whatever it is, and you can go leave it in that section. We'll answer it right here uh, on the very next episode of the show. Hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Brian Billick earlier this week. It was one of my favorite chats uh, that we've had on this podcast here recently. Hope you guys enjoyed that. If you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to it. We talked all about creating a playbook as a coach and what goes into that process, maintaining it, uh, and then using it on a weekly basis. It was a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Also, if you enjoy my conversations every single week here with Ben on this podcast, then make sure you go subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast as well. Not only are Ben and I on there every single week, but Greg Cosell's on there every single week. We've got Dane Brugler as well from The Athletic. We've got, we've got a rotation of guests. We've got college players, the, the whole deal. Make sure you go check us out on the Journey to the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. All right, enough about Journey. Let's get this one rolling now here on the Eagle on the Sky podcast. It's time now to dive into our chat with Ben in Scouting Report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the Scouting Report. All right, well, let's get this discussion going here with my friend Ben Fennell as we talk about uh, Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey and obviously uh, one of the best players at this position, not only just right now, but to me in recent memory. I mean, if you look at just the production that he's putting up, uh, he's certainly on a Hall of Fame track, uh, has been just you know bonkers in terms of what he's done from a number standpoint. But I was excited. I'll, I'll get into the first question here, Ben. What were you most excited to see going into this cut? Because for me, it was just like, all right, like, you know, we know the talent he is, but how did he, how was he able to win? What are the traits that set him apart? Uh, And that's why I was most excited to see kind of stepping into this film. Well, knowing I was going to put on some Kansas City Chiefs offense and Andy Reid, we were going to get a beautiful marriage of talent and scheme. And I think that's what we really saw when we went through all his targets and receptions of 2020 was that marriage of using elite talent, a, a elite unique skill set within the confines of a scheme and an offensive design and philosophy. Um, so I really was excited to see his alignments, his manufactured touches, how easy they made touches for him at times and how much he was a subset of the offense versed an outlier of the offense where it looked like they were trying to get him the ball as opposed to he was part of the progression. He was part of the scheme. He was part of the play sequencing of the, you know, the drive earlier, things like that. I think the chiefs, Andy Reed in particular, obviously he has a elite signal caller to get a lot of that stuff done, which is part of getting a guy like Travis Kelsey, the ball. But 
Um, anytime you can put on an Andy Reid offense, I think you come away with those kind of sentiments. Yeah, I think to me, uh, you know, going through and then that's something that's going to be one of my biggest takeaways. So I don't want to dive into it, but that was certainly an aspect of this uh, that I was most excited about. Before we get into our big takeaways, uh, a stat that matters. I'll come to you first. What were some of the things that uh, you took away from a statistical standpoint, uh, whether it was getting ready to watch this film or afterwards? All right. So I got a couple here. Really okay. interesting. I hope I don't snipe any from you. You're probably going to snipe some. Yep. No question. <laughs> Third most yards after catch in the NFL among anybody. It's right. That's receivers, crazy. receivers, running backs, tight ends, third most yards after catch. Impressive. Only two drops equally as impressive. Uh, just how reliable he is with his hands. And, uh, you know, if uh, Mahomes can put it on him anywhere around him, uh, even, you know, with a defender on his back, he's just a very reliable target. But his contested catch rate. When you look at receivers that had a hundred targets last year. So that's 43. Wow. Yep. He, he was 38th. Hmm. Not a whole lot of contested catches. Yep. So what is that telling me? He's getting himself open or the offense is getting himself open. Uh, and I think that goes right into the next point. The Chiefs, number one in RPO percentage in 2020, 2019, 2018, 2017. This is an RPO offense through and through. They want to make defenders wrong. They want to play off the leverage of defenders. That typically is attacking open spaces. And typically, those aren't contested catch situations. The other thing I thought was really interesting, Fran, he only had six downfield receptions. Yep. That was the same as Mike Kosicki, some other kind of ho-hum players around the league. And in fact, 109 of his 136 catches under three seconds. Yep. So that's not a downfield shot play kid. And he's not one of these go-to targets when Mahomes gets in scramble drills. I think you think 136 catches, man, prolific downfield weapon, vertical threat. Not really. And I think it's going to be fun to kind of peel back some layers of the onion here on how they were getting this kid the ball. Yeah, uh, you sniped me. I, I hope I didn't, I hope yeah, I didn't yeah. kill you there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you, no, which is good because I was glad. Cause you, we'll make you, a note for next week. You start doing stats No, first. you you <laughs> illustrated some of the big ones that I think are really important. And it's stuff that, honestly, not even the stuff I was going to get into in the stats segment, but for some of these questions, so some of these takeaways and the burning questions. So I'm glad that you kind of teed this up a little bit here. Um, I think that, to me, the other big one that I wanted to throw out from a stat standpoint, over 80% of his targets came from 11 personnel. I thought that was kind of interesting in terms of uh, just overall usage. And, uh, you know, we know that that's an 11 personnel offense, but we do know also that, you know, that Andy's going to mix things up from a personnel standpoint too. But 80% of his targets came uh, from 11 personnel. Let's get uh, to our burning questions. And the first one was by big takeaway. And I want to, I want to go to you, but real quickly, since you already kind of hit on this and what you are most excited to see, literally like, dude, I'm reading this exactly verbatim from my notes, <laughs> great talent plus great scheme equals consistently great production. I think and you, the, the, the sentence after that great marriage of scheme situation and talent, literally the exact same thing that you had just <laughs> said uh, to kick off this conversation. I think when you look at Travis Kelsey, obviously we know he's an elite talent. He checks so many boxes from a trait standpoint that you're looking for, for a good tight end in today's game. But the second element of that is what they do with him. And then also the other guys around it to me, I, I look at this Kansas city chiefs offense and we talked about this in our super bowl preview. You have Kelsey, you've got Tyree Kill, and then I think they could figure it out with other movable pieces and projects and things like that. But those two guys, 
give Andy Reid, give Patrick Mahomes the ability to dictate matchups, to dictate coverage, create uh, favorable leverage, to create voids in coverage. You want to play man, you want to play zone. Regardless, they're going to find ways because they've got those two linchpins there in the offensive skill position player. I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough sledding if you're a defense against that group. <laughs> so again, just great marriage of a great talent with a great scheme. Yeah, no question. I have a bunch of takeaways here, so I'm glad you went first. And I was just writing down some nuggets as I was watching and buzzing through all his targets. Some of my just kind of quick hit takeaways here, right? Okay. Easy completions. Sometimes he had a halo around him. And I think that alludes to the fact he has so few drops, so few contested targets uh, because they're easy completions. Whole lot of zone coverage. There are yeah. some teams that are no pretty question. much saying white flag. We can't guard the Chiefs in man coverage anymore. We have to play zone. What happens in zone coverage, Fran? Typically, high percentage of completions. So that also alludes to why you know they have a lot of production and a lot of few drops and things like that. Didn't have to particularly work hard to uncover at times. I felt again defenses feared speed of this team. There was a lot of teams where they just were in, tre- in retreat mode, giving up free space unthreatened when I mean unthreatened the route wasn't unthreatening just the people on the field were threatening they were backing up by default yep the other thing a lot of misdirection a lot of motion um, a lot of screens everything had some sort of element off of it as much as he was often the ISO player on three by one on the backside of trips which was often yeah and very often he wasn't as well and he didn't he was a part of the you know, the nature of the offense, whether it was a run action, whether it was a two through the zone and trying to create space for him. Um, And the other thing that I just kind of alluded to earlier, the fact that he wasn't this downfield weapon, this is an explosive offense, but it isn't all downfield. And I think that's kind of a misconception that Mahomes backs up 12 yards every drop back and chucks it down the field. And he does to an extent to some of those speedy, speedy receivers. But not necessarily to Travis Kelsey. And yep. I was a little bit taken back and surprised by by how few he was targeted down the field and even asked to run down the field. I got news for you guys. Travis Kelsey is an outstanding athlete. Great yards after catch. Great route runner. He is not a blazer. He's not running past anybody. And I'm not sure if you saw that uh, as well when you you know buzzed through a lot of his 2020. Uh, we'll we'll get, get into that uh, that part of it for sure. <laughs> That's something that did stand out to me. Hey, to me, man, like. Um, and there, there's so much, uh, for me to unpack there, but I want to get you into the next question. And that's the best play that kind of illustrates this because, uh, to me, my play goes into a lot of what you had just talked about. And, you know, honestly, it was the very first play of the cutup, his longest catch of the season. It was a 56 yard. It was a catch and run. So not again, to, to your point, not like this deep ball, you know, down the seam, you know, where you catch it, uh, 30 yards past the line of scrimmage. It was a 56 yard catch and run against the Patriots. He comes in short motion from number one to number two. How often do we see that where, uh, you know, they bring him in. He's lined up out wide. He motions into the slot. They keep him clean off the snap. He gets free access up to the second level. And then he's just asked to win. And how many times do we see him win on these sale routes? It was a catch and run play. He gets into the intermediate area and now he's just able to work. And to me, the biggest concept that we saw time and time again, and it looked different all the time, right? They have lots of different ways for them to dress it up. But they're, they've got two main three-level stretch concepts. And you talked about the heavy amount of zone coverage that they were able to see. 
They know that. They know the teams were playing zone against them, so they're going to put stress on those zone coverages by running speed over the top, whether it was Tyreek, whether it was Miko Hardman, Sammy Watkins, you know, insert speedy receiver. And really outside. quick, Fran, that's what we mean by saying a two through the zone. Yep, exactly. It's typically a, a route initially, uh, you know, going through the zone coverage, and yep. then another route, that second one, coming into the void that that first created. I thought you set that up perfectly. Yeah, and, and that was Kelsey very often, was that he mm-hmm. was the second guy through, uh, and he was able, you know, whether it was sail routes or if he's running crossing routes from the opposite side of the field, a deep over route as the XISO receiver where uh, he's on the backside of trips and you've got vertical routes on the opposite side, and he's just running into the void. He's just running into green grass, and he's just he's running. <laughs> he shows off that speed, running away from a linebacker or, or, or from a safety, or if he's just running through zones. I mean, that time and time and time again. And it showed up on the very first play. And I thought that that was just a, a really good example of it. But those three level stretches, I mean, they were killers for that offense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the play that uh, illustrates my takeaway is how often he was that ISO on the backside of trips yep. and how often they like to put Tyreek Hill number three in trips Third, on the yeah. other side. And that formation really puts defenses in a bind and you see it quite often. And there was a game against the Jets. It was third and 13, just outside the red zone or high red zone. Kelsey runs about 15 yards and just turns around. On third and 13, picks up 18 yards easily. Why? Because Tyree Kill was number three in trips on the other side. The Jets were in like a Tampa 2 defense. All Tyree Kill did was run through the Mike linebacker dropping into the other half-field safety over Kelsey. What did they both have to do? Back up a couple yards, and Kelsey just turned around. Third and 13, picked up the easiest 18 yards I've seen all season. It was just like a not fair kind of concept in that how easy they can make this offense look. So um, for every one of these easy completions, though, Fran, I thought I did see a trait that Kelsey can help himself with as well. I'm interested to see what trait really stood out the most to you when he won. Okay, so uh, for me, the the trait that stood out most um, I feel like we're going to have the same trait here. I'd be right. shocked if we didn't, but go okay. ahead. Okay. So the one thing I did was um, I laid out a handful of really important traits for myself. Okay. So uh, I laid out size and strength as one, uh, speed, quickness, um, technique as a route runner, uh, hands, toughness. And then the last one was mental processing. And hmm. you know that's a, that's a word that gets thrown out, a term that gets thrown out a lot. Uh, but with tight ends, to me, what stands out to me with mental processing, okay, is your ability to settle into soft spots and zone coverage, understanding, hey, you know, I'm not going to run uh, into a void there or into coverage here. I'm going to settle into a soft spot between two defenders. But then also just being locked in with the quarterback in those scramble situations, all right? So mental processing was actually the trait that showed up most for me, that I checked off the box most often. And I think that whether it was settling into soft spots, which, by the way, he was outstanding at. And then two, making himself available for the quarterback in those scramble situations. To me, that's the trait that stood out most. And, and while, you know, certainly made some great catches, uh, you see the quickness, his ability. I mean, he carved up some defenders as a route runner. I mean, he showed all of these, um, but I thought that the mental processing aspect of it really showed up time and time again for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. The one tree I kept writing down over and over and over again, and there was kind of two different elements to this was winning at the top of the route. Yep. And whether that was with snap, which is quickness to get in and out of break and using suddenness to separate from your defender, whether in zone or man coverage, but also strength at the top to straight just win 
size versus size, more of a physical element where you have to really uncover from a defender grabbing you and clawing at you. And there isn't a lot of snap. There's more strength to that component. A lot of these routes were under 10 yards. It was how he separated quite often. Um, So for every one of these manufactured touches, he got himself open, but never threatened people vertically, never really shook people off the line and got people immediately out of phase or in a retreat mode. He had to win at the top of the route at that collision point. And I thought that was really interesting because we think of Kelsey as non-inline tight end, kind of a pass catching tight end. And um, I just think it's really interesting how he was generating a lot of these receptions and what he does for himself versus winning through the confines of the offense and being manufactured touches, as we see quite often with a lot of the screens and play action stuff and RPO things. But his ability to win at the top of the route, first and foremost, I thought was the best trait he demonstrated. I think a great example of that was the uh, this one this clip like went viral on Twitter the day of the game like as it happened but uh, him carving up Denzel Ward in the playoffs uh, on was that it was a touchdown right in the in the high red zone um, yep. I think it was like a twenty yard catch and run uh, yep. but just what he did to one of the more talented corners in the league kind of speaks to his ability to create he kind of used some combo in there because he, I thought he pushed off just slightly yep. and then also like restabbed into Denzel Ward so he yep. showed some suddenness and foot quickness as well and then lumbered you know the fifteen yards remaining into the the end zone. But I also kind of project this forward as we talk about quite often on the journey to the draft podcast, where we're so excited about vertical speed and range and length. Who's a tight end in this class that has that ability to win at the top of the route, but might run four, five, seven. And, you know, I think of guys like Pat Fryermuth, who I think is a much better hands catcher route runner than he's given credit for because of this exact trait. Yep. And I think it's becoming a more valuable trait as I literally just went through this exercise. Mm, yeah, it's uh, it's something that we're going to we're going to talk about how this impacts this draft class uh, moving forward for sure. I have a question for you, and this was our, our fourth one here. How many tight ends in the league right now? So taking this draft class separate, but in the league that played just in 2020, who could you drop into this role in this offense and expect you're not going to get the same results more, more likely, but even like somewhat similar results. Like to me, it's like, all right, it's George Kittle. I think Darren Waller has proven over the last couple of years that he, that he's, you know, one of the more formidable weapons uh, in the league. But like after that, I think it's a, a couple question marks in terms of like, all right, like, you know, could Hunter, what would Hunter Henry look like in that scheme? If you just like, all right, t- take Travis Kelsey, put him out, put Hunter Henry in. Would Dallas Goddard be that kind of guy? Would Tyler Higby be that kind of guy? Would Jonu Smith be that kind of guy? Like, uh, how do you kind of view that? Who who is a, uh, uh, who are the players that could kind of you know come even close to that kind of production in that system? Well, I think you're hitting on a lot of those guys. It's just really fun to try to envision players in different schemes and ones that can really manufacture touches. But as much as we talked A, B, and C about the offense he provides X, Y, and Z for himself as well. So, you know, you can point to some kind of resurgence case studies like uh, Robert Tunyon in Green Bay kind of essentially came out of nowhere, you know, big product of the offense and how it was designed. You can envision guys like that, I think, can plug and play uh, into the Chiefs style of offense as well. You need to have a little bit of a receiver pedigree to how they, you know, get him open. And um, he has to be able to obviously catch the football and make good adjustments and have some sort of yards after catch threat because of all these manufactured touches. Um, 
I'm just kind of buzzing through the tight end list here and trying to envision, you know, what would a Gerald Everett look like in that offense or a Dallas Goddard or Austin Hooper. And the first name I was literally thinking of is funny. It was Hunter Henry. Yep. Um, who doesn't always inspire us as a offensive pass catching weapon, but could he be in an offense that maybe featured him more in the past game, uh, which did a little bit more at Arkansas before he gets to the NFL. So yep. uh, really fun to kind of envision that, or even like a, you know, receiver pedigrees, like Noah fan, Eric Ebron, some guys like that. Yep. I would find it really hard to believe that Andy Reed wouldn't soak out every last drop of uh, athleticism and pass catching ability out of these guys. Yeah. And it ultimately then becomes like, uh, and this is what that what makes it so difficult in trying to like gauge like okay like what level of player can this guy be because so much of it is situation dependent you know if if OJ Howard doesn't go to the Tampa Bay Bucks and instead ends up in Kansas City let's just throw that you know throw that out like is OJ Howard viewed as like oh yeah like a trade away piece you know for uh for a team that you know that, oh they go and sign Gronk and oh we can get rid of OJ Howard you know what I mean like I just feel like there's those kinds of players those kinds of talents at that position where you're like man like if he was in a different spot. I feel like the the production would be so, so different. Yeah, I think that's really fair. And I think that's just the fun part of kind of projecting, uh, you know, players with different schemes and the, you know, is it the coach making the players, the players making the coach, somebody's stuck in a certain scheme or system their entire careers. And you try to envision, well, what would have been like if he was with him or this quarterback or this play designer? I think that's the fun part about sports and why there's so many debates at every angle. So what is one thing that you think you noticed that I did not? Because I've got one that, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you go first. Um, you know, that's a really good question there. There's a lot of things, you know, as far as just uh, I already hit on not being a, a downfield target and, uh, you know, not being the kind of go-to guy in some of his scramble drills. And probably my biggest takeaway after having some preconceived notions in this is, not being overly impressed with his straight line vertical speed. Mm. I kind of thought he was this imposing uh, speed threat with an explosive element and had more of a receiver profile, but I don't want to, you know, diminish his ability by calling him a possession receiver, but how he won was really in that kind of definition. Um, So that was probably my biggest takeaway, um, not to take away from his obviously, you know, record setting uh, season. So uh, for the first time since we've been doing this exercise, you know, since the off season started, uh, you clipped me. I think I've gotten you every single time where I'm like, oh, I, I got something that Ben didn't notice. And for the first time you brought it up, it was like one of the first things you said was just talking about how wide open he was. Because one of the, <laughs> for every single catch, okay, I kind of broke it up into different categories. So uh, it was an uncontested catch. Uh, he's going to the ground. He's, you know, it was a contested where uh, he had to go up and battle at the catch point. He's taking a hit. Like all these were different categories. 84 of his catches were uncontested. 84. That means that number one, that the quarterback put the ball on him because he didn't have to work for the football. And then number two, there was nobody around him to the point where he could step up field and start to create yards after catch. 84 of his grabs were that way. And to me, like it goes back to what you said at the beginning. That's a combination of the scheme of them getting him open. That's a combination. That's part of his ability to create his own separation, him unearthing himself in scramble situations. Like I talked about settling into soft spots and zone coverage. That goes back to what you talked about with his yards after catch. You're creating yards after catch because the scheme and the quarterback allowed you to be able to do that. And you've got that physical ability, right? So the, uh, to me, like that was the thing that stood out to me was like 84 catches, which like <laughs> tight ends never touched that number period, but 84 catches were uncontested. That's 
crazy. That's 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 bananas. I was really really surprised at how high that number was. Yeah, and I think that just touches on the uh, metric I added earlier. Just there was 43 players with 100 targets. He was 38th in contested catch percentage. Yeah, right. and, and everybody at the bottom were all running backs. Yep. Because typically running backs are a little bit more open space, you know, with the screens and check downs and things like that. They're typically not making contested grabs. In fact, I don't think Alvin Kamara had a contested grab all season and he has yep. nearly 110 targets every year. Um, so, yeah, it was just really interesting. So as much as I wanted to talk about his ability to win at the top of the route his strength and snap and contested catches and strong hands. There were some where he was just wide, you know, butt naked open in the field. And you just have to kind of give hats off to the play calling and the marriage of talent and scheme that we talk about. And as much as Mahomes is a, you know, dynamic quarterback and, you know, the best on the planet, whatever you call him, they still, you know, live and breathe through the run game and the RPOs. And, you know, if you give us the run, we're going to take the run. Um, and I think that gets lost in a lot of offenses, whether it's the University of Alabama, whether it's the Chiefs, whether it's the MVP Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Um, there's still a place for balance uh, in the NFL. And, you know, even though we're watching a prolific pass catching tight end, there's still balance in this offense. And uh, I think that's a really important takeaway as well. Yeah, and even like one of the notes I put down, you mentioned the formation earlier where uh, he's lined up as the X receiver. Tyree kills at number three on the opposite side uh, when he would be lined up as like a tight X receiver. So with a minus split or even as an inline player. And so you've got those two guys like pretty close together. You'd see a lot of zone coverage against those looks. And very often a middle linebacker put in that kind of scenario, he's going to open up to the pass strength. So he's going to open up looking at Tyree kill with his back to Travis Kelsey, Kelsey would just run right at him and sit down in that in that soft spot and zone coverage. And again, just wide open. Like it just dude, yeah. it was like time and time again. The zone uh, the zone coverages are working against defenses now because they're trying to protect against the deep ball. But now you're allowing easy completions underneath, underneath catch and run opportunities. And the worst part of it, Fran, too much free access yep. into the second and third layers of the defense. And when you have guys like McCole Hardman, Sammy Watkins, Tyree Kill to take the top off the defense. It's just open pastures in that second level for guys like Travis Kelsey. Uh, and I think that's what we saw time and time again. So uh, definitely need to go to the lab on how to stop an offense like this. Yeah, I think that you know, one aspect of that would be trying to prevent that free access, trying to find ways to impact him uh, off the line of scrimmage. And I thought uh, the Bucs did a great job, you know, per, you know, the Super Bowl, protect over, over the top and then have some dogs underneath that are ready to tackle and challenge the catch points like the Levante Davids and, you know, Devin White's of the world. So uh, that's that's my uh, challenge to defense is go find two linebackers like that to uh, cover the middle of the field. Well, that's what we talked about with that Colts defense in terms of what really stood out to us about that group was just how they flew around, uh, you know, at the second level. Um, all right, so I want to kind of bring this back to an Eagles-related spin to it. And uh, look, you and I were both big fans of Dallas Goddard when he was coming out of South Dakota State. And I think I even wrote down in my – uh, in my report on him um, that he kind of had some shades of Travis Kelsey. And again, when we're scouting traits at that level, you're looking for guys that are able to check a lot of these boxes. So you're looking at size, you're looking at quickness, you're looking at route running skill, you're looking at ball skills, the ability to be a two-way player, both as a, a pass catcher and as a blocker. And Goddard had all of those things. And that's why I feel like you could put him in that discussion and talk about his overall upside because of that. And so uh, to me, Looking at, you know, what what is Dallas Goddard? What can he be here? And what is this? It's going to be year uh, year three of his career, year four of his career, rather. I'm excited to see his continued development and, and what will be a new offensive scheme here in 2021. 
yeah, you know, when I look at talented players like this and, you know, whether it's tight ends, running backs, quarterbacks, my view now, Fran, is how do we make these guys' lives easier? Yep. How do we make offenses QB friendly? How do we make touches more manufactured and more wide open? How do we make them not work so hard to generate offense? And when I watch this Chiefs offense, that's my kind of takeaway and saying they're playing off of defenses, they're attacking leverages, they're making you wrong. Um, and it's making offense easier. And this whole QB friendly faux pas word is now moving offenses down the field, you know, at, at nauseum and at a ridiculous pace. So um, I want to see how Dallas Goddard can be used in combination with the offensive scheme and the collective intent of, uh, you know, Nick Sirianni and this new uh, kind of Eagles regime. And I think that's also, you mentioned earlier, that, you know, we talk about this position a lot on the Journey to the Draft podcast, and uh, you bring this over to Kyle Pitts, and you and I have talked uh, both offline and on Journey about Kyle Pitts and, and his perceived value and how, how can you take a tight end in the top five or in the top ten. I think when you look at his skill set and what he can be for an offense, and then you look at Kelsey and what we just saw, uh, did that kind of change your viewpoint at all watching all of Kelsey's grabs or did that kind of reinforce it uh, in terms of like, yeah, like if you can get this kind of guy for your offense, if you need that kind of weapon, he could certainly provide that. And he gives you that kind of shot in the arm. Yeah. You know, it's kind of realigning what I'm looking for in the tight end position that I don't necessarily need a straight line vertical blazer. I need someone with proficient hands, strong at the top of the route, uh, somebody that fits into the confines of the offense and I think when I look at a Kyle Pitts like that, I just want to know, are you going to make him work hard to get open? Are you going to throw low percentage concepts, you know, at him, uh, you know, to get him the football? And when you look at Travis Kelsey, there were so many high percentage plays. And I just see too many times teams getting exciting, talented, explosive weapons and making it so hard to get him the football. I think he, I think Kelsey caught one back shoulder fade in the entire season that I saw. And, what's, like, what's, and what's our collective issue with fades, back shoulders, yeah, outside the numbers stuff? Low, uh, you know, low outcome of success. I mean, you're not, no you're question. Not, that's, yeah, not a, just, that's not a high, uh, you know, value of success high, play. No, no question about it. And I think we look at a lot of times and whether it was be third and, you know, mediums, third and long situations before the quarterback would even throw the ball, we'd say, stop. Is this a high percentage throw? Yep. Why would you want him to do this? whether it's our team, another team, the opponent, college, whoever we're watching, sometimes it's not even about the result. It's about the intent and what they're being asked to do and saying, why are they making it so hard on the quarterback and the pass catcher? So when I look at a Pitts, a Goddard, you know, a Kelsey, that's what I envision. That's what I want. I want offense to be easier to use these, you know, uh, absolutely dynamic athletic gazelles out there in the offense. Yeah, it's about, you know, it's, and we've talked about this. And if it's, dude, it's so funny how these kind of themes pop up no matter what position we're discussing. We talked about it last week with defensive linemen and Aaron Donald. We talked about it the week before uh, when looking at the different pass catchers in the Chargers offense and Keenan Allen and, and guys like that. You have elite talent. Don't just expect them to just do elite things all the time. Make it easy for them. Meet them halfway and give them some easy production as well. Uh, and then let them do some of the crazy alien things that uh, make them so special. But uh, I think it's like, a you know what, what, like when Kelsey run at the combine, you know, off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, I don't. I can pull it up know, in a second I'm, here. I'm looking uh, it up real fast. I mean, to me, like, and he he's a good at, like, 
it's not that he's a blazer. I'm sure he didn't run like four fours, but I'm sure he probably ran in like the, the low four sixes, high four, you know, mid four, yeah, fives, four, right? four, four, six, three, four, there six, three. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and he's that kind of player. Like he's not a plotter, but he's not, uh, you know, the guy that's going to, you know, he's not Vernon Davis either. Right. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's not necessarily his game. And it's also interesting to, to say, if you get a four, three tight end, as rare as those are like a right. Vernon Davis, what are you going to ask him to do with that four, three speed? Do you need four three speed at that position? Travis Kelsey just broke the you know pass catching record for tight ends at four six three. Yep. You know something's something's wrong about how we're projecting this position and how we're asking them to win on the field. And I think it can be done a little bit cleaner, a little bit easier uh, with the framework that the Chiefs kind of laid out. Yeah, and I even like looking at who's the other guy that we would talk about as the top player at the position uh right now in the in this uh in this league and it would be George Kittle, Kittle and yeah. he ran for he ran four low four five so you ran low four so same kind of deal where you're talking about uh you don't necessarily need like that crazy freak athlete speed but uh you know if you do get that what can you do to massage that and to allow that uh to be you know leveraged in your offense so uh, fun discussion as always, Ben. I, I'm gonna be honest. I haven't put any thought into next week yet. We can uh, we'll talk offline. We'll see. Uh, or maybe we, we'll get a, a recommendation from a listener if they jump on our Apple. Oh, there you go. Page yeah. And uh, you know, leave it in the comment section. Uh, we'll break down your topic here next week uh, right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. And there's a bunch of you that do it. And I love everybody uh, that goes on a Twitter and goes on a Facebook and shares the YouTube link. Thanks so much to everybody that does that. Really, really appreciate everybody. But the best way to support this show is to go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. I said it earlier at the top. The queue is wide open. I've got no questions to answer here for this episode. First time in months that I have not had one to be able to respond to. So now is the time. You can literally jump on and you can be the first in the queue to answer on the very next episode. If you've got a question, if you've got a topic, you've got something you want Ben and I to break down for next week, whatever it is, jump on to our Apple Podcast page. Look up Eagle Eye in the Sky. You can go and leave it right there in the comment section. Appreciate everybody that has done that. Not only does that help us out from that standpoint and giving us some, some content, but also it helps boost us up in the ratings, makes it more visible to other people looking for podcasts just like this one. So thanks so much to everybody out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I'm Fred Duffy. We'll talk to you next week. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.